Welcome to the Multiply Your Success podcast, where each week we help growth-minded entrepreneurs and franchise leaders take the next step in their expansion journey. I'm your host, Tom Dufour, CEO of Big Sky Franchise Team. And as we open up today, the question is, have you ever found yourself chasing shiny objects? Or maybe you found yourself chasing that next great idea only to wind up falling short or maybe never committing to implementation. And I don't know about you, but I know I've fallen uh, victim to that before. And, and if that's you or you found yourself in, those, in that position, you're going to love our interview today with Jeff Reynolds. And he shares with us how to go from revolution thinking to evolution thinking as you implement new ideas and vision into your company. Jeff is an author, a marketing expert, and his work has been featured by Forbes, The Huffington Post, The Wall Street Journal, and Good Morning America, just to name a few. You're going to love this interview, so let's go ahead and jump right into my interview with Jeff Reynolds. Thanks for having me, Tom. It's uh, it's really cool to be on talking with you. Uh, so yeah, I'm Jeff Reynolds. I am president, my day job is president of Reynolds and Myers, and we're a marketing consultancy that specializes in working with uh, food and shelter companies in the B2B space. That's our primary um, audience. And, and you know, in my part time, I, I write and I, I teach and do all sorts of other things. One of the reasons that I was really interested in having you on the show is you have this idea and, and topic you like to talk about on how to make a shift from revolution to evolution. And I'd love for you just to talk about that and how that pertains to marketing, people's business, and just kind of start going down that direction. I think it was a really interesting topic. Yeah. Well, I think for starters, I should say I'm not opposed to the concept of revolution. There are times when organizations need revolution, right? But in the real world, and I'm sure you've seen this, Tom, is you, it, that, that translates into shiny object syndrome. Um, yes. You know, you end up, you see uh, founders or operators, um, you know, start to chase magic bullets. So what in our space, I've really learned that the way to, it's, to affect organizational change is to break it, everything down into much smaller bites, um, you, you know, on a day-to-day basis or weekly basis, instead of sort of giving your team whiplash uh, on the change. And so that's really hard for a lot of leaders and a lot of entrepreneurs in particular, because they bec- they come from like a visionary mindset. You know, they see the big picture, they see, they have big dreams and their team a lot of times isn't ready for that. So what we really try to do is slow that process down in people's minds and see everything as a process, not just an event that, and, um, and build systems and structures that give you that benefit over the long term. So you see the change, the change actually happens because otherwise what happens, you know, analogous to this is like the student loan debt crisis. Like a lot of the student loan debt isn't held by people who completed college. It's held by people who got through two years and then things in life changes. And that happens in business all the time. You have a big initiative and you get 30%, 50%, 70%, and then it's abandoned. So the evolutionary process make smaller goals to help solve that. Interesting. So I'm I'm curious about this concept and and I'm very much a person that I I like methodical things and and taking these big things and just breaking into really, really small uh, pieces. Uh, Otherwise, I found I just never do it. I just don't get it done. 
And uh, and so there are lots of big things, by the way, that have not been broken into small pieces, which is <laughs> part of why I uh, selfishly was interested to hear what you had to say to help uh, us with our own business try to figure this out. Um, so what are some things that you've seen or helped with clients that they've that that you've helped along the way and maybe a little process or two that that uh, for kind of a practical application? Sure. Um, I mean, I think the number one step here and of course, there's a ton of nuance, right? But the first thing is setting those priorities and being really clear on the, the priorities. And I'll, I'll talk about that in one second, but it's impossible to set priorities if you haven't already established really the goal and the strategy um, to measure it against, right? So we can talk, we can go back to that. Those are big topics that get a little bit um, muddy, but uh, you know, we, we use, uh, a tool um, that when, when we're prioritizing, that is the achievability impact matrix. And it looks, you know, it's like an L chart. You, you've seen those are a quadrant graph, right? And with, with the two axes being achievability and uh, impact. And what we do is we break down everything into an initiative. So this is how we think about setting priorities. And an initiative is oftentimes for many people, especially from a marketing context, it might be who is the audience that I have? What do I want them to do? Um, that because that the idea that that gets kind of bundled into one initiative and then gets plotted on that chart. And then what we're looking for are sort of that upper, the way we do it, the upper right-hand quadrant, which ends up being high impact, high achievability items. And we literally toss out everything else. At some point you draw a little median line and that becomes our focus. And then now we have our actual priority list. And I just think so often companies are skipping this step. They're trying to make everything the priority. And so until you, and you know, I, the word priority didn't even exist until like the 1960s. Um, it, it, or I shouldn't say that, the word priorities, the idea of plural priorities, something used to be either priority or not, just like it's unique or not. Um, and now we have this word priorities, which doesn't even make sense because you can't have multiple priorities by definition in, in the real world. So, mm. so th that's just an example of a simple tool that we use. But the real key here is getting your mindset to the place where priorities become your priority. Well, I, that that's a, a so true. Um, and I, I know we are uh, definitely a culprit of having priorities <laughs> Uh, and that in turn creates a lack of clarity and what is wh which one is the most important or wh what is the greatest priority that we actually need to be focused on. And so I like this achievability impact to help sort that all out. And as a team, it probably pretty quickly identifies what those top maybe two or three that might fit in and help you single out that one priority to go after. Exactly. And it's not, you know, it's not to say it's easy or obvious. At the end of the day, humans still have to arm wrestle it out or somehow, you know, debate it out to figure out priorities. It's not always clear. I don't want to make it sound that way. But yeah. the real thing is when we use achievability as a me measurement, achievability is not simply being able to get something done, but it's ability to get something done that actually matches your strategy and goals. So you have to go through that process. And there's a lot of people who do a lot of great work in there. So, you know, in, in the book, for example, I don't dive really in depth into the goals and strategy because other people cover that so well. But um, 
that that is a very real thing. Getting good at goals and strategy becomes the lens that you see your priorities through. Mm. All right. So now let's say I'm at that stage. I've got the the priority is clear. I know what direction I'm going. Uh, How do you then start to break this down to make to achieve this goal or the 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 target that that has been set? Yeah. Well, every situation is a little bit different, but in general, the idea is we're looking for the single smallest unit of a step that we can take that moves us slightly towards the goal in the directionally towards the goal. So that's, that can be a very small thing. I think this is a difference of my view versus other people. I'm, I'm literally talking about picking up the, if, if, you know, if picking up the phone, may be the first step it's, it, you know, if it's like, Oh, we want to close this account, right? We want, we have a dream of, you know, Procter and Gamble becoming a client. Well, the first step might be a identifying who you could possibly talk to. Right. That's and a lot of people would say, well, that's not much of a that's very tactical. Right. And but my argument is you have to start at the very tactical in order to ladder up to something that looks more like a strategic effort. So that unit size is different for every organization and every team. Right. So that example I just gave you might be a one person thing, person working on something. Right. Whereas other cut teams, um, you know, with more resources, your capacity is different. So that might be a little more complex, although. I mean, I work with multi-billion dollar publicly traded companies, and I use a lot of the same techniques with them that I use with much smaller independent companies, because in the end of the day, it's still humans and humans need that sense of momentum to get there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think of uh, just comparing this to, uh, it, you know, we're, we're just coming through, uh, we're coming toward the tail end of the first quarter. And, you know, it's, it always seems to be a running joke each year, but you, you, the New Year's resolutions, it's I'm going to get fit this year and uh, sign up for gym memberships and this and that. And then by here we are at the tail end of the quarter, how many are still going? Um, I, I don't know. But, you know, um, it's, it's, uh, what you're saying, it's, it sounds like, you know, you kind of take this whole fitness thing and you want to do it all in a week instead of stretching it out. Yeah. And the fitness is actually a great analogy because you, if you really think about it, when you go at the, that new year's resolution by definition, almost is a revolutionary act. We don't imagine ourselves. I'll speak for myself. I don't imagine myself two pounds lighter. I imagine myself 25 pounds lighter. Mm-hmm. And when I don't, when then when I actually go to start doing the work, I don't go from where I am today to 25 pounds lighter, right? I have to go down that. Th- and so I need a, I need a system and the habits built up to do that. And I mean, this gets into what I call capacity. Um, and, you know, your capacity for a human, uh, for a normal person, it might be ha- habits might be a big part of that. But organizational, uh, in an organization, habits are simply culture. Right. So um, so building out the, the rest of your support system to help you actually get there is important, too. Ah, Very interesting. Um, and, and so maybe that 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 leads to kind of this next point here of of making sure that the strategy um, and that uh, the alignment of teams that are all working together, whether, you know, I know your focus is marketing, but let, let's talk a little bit about how when when the strategy team alignment, marketing are all kind of uh, incongruence. I'd love for you to talk about that and how how that improves what's going on. Yeah. I mean, I think the way, so the way I think about it is 
I'm sure you've read uh, Simon Sinek's, um, you know, the start with why. Yes. The, mm-hmm. Right. And he has his golden circle uh, and it's, you know, and, it, and why is at the center and then it goes how, and then it goes what. And I think the problem with that for me as thinking about in terms of organizational design, which is sort of the lens that I look through when I'm talking about this, in other words, so when I'm talking to a marketing leader, but it really works for any leader, I'm thinking, you're not just, it's not about how you do marketing or do human resources or do ops. It's, it's, you know, how you design an organization to do those things. That should be our focus, right? And so I break out this how into um, goal strategy underpinned by capacity. Um, and capacity is simply talent, infrastructure, and culture. That's how that further breaks down. And um, and so when you talk about alignment, the, a huge problem is that people set goals or strategies to accomplish things, but then don't either set up, don't hire the right people to do that, don't set up the right processes, don't have the right tools, that's infrastructure, or don't do the very, very hard work of establishing a culture that can accomplish that goal. So when a big company, I keep using that as an example, it's not the only example, but a monstrosity of a company says, we're gonna be the innovation leader, and they've never done that before, you know, that's a, a learned skill within an organization and a culture. And so you have to actually implement the, the, the right tools to make that happen. I don't I hope that answers the question. It, it does. Well, sure. Certainly. Yeah. And, and I think that uh, culture piece, the uh, what, what is the kind of the fabric of that organization? I think about your description of a, a non-innovative large organization saying we're going to be an innovation leader that that does that's going to maybe never happen or take 10 years before it, it would would come to uh, fruition. And uh, the good news, I guess, for a lot of our clients and folks who will listen to this interview are small businesses or smaller right. enterprises that if they decide to do it, could actually make that happen if they put the effort into it much more quickly. Yeah. And I think that's a really key thing. I mean, we, as a, as a small business owner, we have to recognize that our advantage becomes our, become is our agility and nimbleness, but it's also the danger. So for a small business, what happens uh, a lot of times is they don't ever intentionally um, establish culture around a goal and they just sort of let it happen or they never think about processes or if they have the right people, they just hire the people they have, you know, or they, that are easily acceptable. And believe me on this culture thing, I I'm a, I'm a convert. Like I've run. So, you know, for 20 some years, I've run companies to various companies from technology to consulting ish stuff. And, and I'll tell you, I never really believed in this idea of setting principles and and defining you know the mission and all these things. I always thought that was sort of mushy and soft and just a waste of time. But now I see it totally different. After I started implementing those, that became a framework that I could use to talk to my employees, to set our objectives, figure out those details. So all I'm trying to say is my message to small businesses is really around the agility. Like, Yes, it's a strength, but recognize the shadow of that strength. The shadow of that strength is that you're always, there's another shiny object to chase. Yeah. Well, and, and you, you started talking into this a little bit, I think, but uh, you, it's called, you call it the marketing miracle, also known as the golden circle. So <laughs> I, I don't know, it sounded like you were going in that direction, but I'd love for you to talk about that. 
Well, yeah, what I was talking, that's what I was referencing. So the golden circle is what uh, Simon Sinek calls his little circle of why, the why, how, what. And everybody gets really excited about it. And I actually do believe in the basic concept. But it, I did, what I was struggling with as a leader was how to apply that into my organization other than just thinking about why I exist. So what I, what I, we created the miracle. It's a silly acronym. I won't bore you. It's modern marketing circle, basically. And the, all that does is, is it's this goal strategies underpinned by capacity and surrounded by priorities. And all that really means is do you have alignment and balance of these things? And have you sufficiently defined these things in the correct manner? And so I think strategy is a great example of this because strategy is probably the most misused word in, in business. Um, you know, there's a lot of tactics and um, to-do lists masquerading as strategies out there. Um you know, and a, a strategy is I, my definition. There's various definitions, but I think they all get to the same thing: is a designed, planned plan uh, of action to win. So implied in that is it's designed, meaning you are proactive. It's to win. It's implied that you know what winning means. Let's just take those two examples. And most companies really don't have that really clear in their own in the most. Uh, you know, operators or founders, right? They don't. They they don't really know what winning means, other than more. I want more money, more customers, more leads, whatever. And that's not. We're, we're we got to go a little bit bigger than that. So, how do you? Is this something you help folks kind of sort through or figure out? How how do you kind of help identify that? We do, and and our system. You know, we have a you know my, Kyle, who's um, my VP of strategy at our company. He runs workshops that really force people to choose. Because usually the problem is not that they don't have an idea of what to do. The problem is they can't, they want to do it all. And they don't have the resources to do it all. And so essentially the process is you go through, you start it with a wide funnel of ideas. You know, you're brainstorming and you do it in each of these sections of different ways that you, you know, so you established here's some potential goals, here's some potential strategies that could meet those goals. And then you do the capacity part. And this is really the, why I keep coming back to this because most organizations realize this there's a giant gap. Like, oh, I say I want to do this thing, I say I want to do it in this manner, but everything else is a wish. I don't have the people, the tools, the you know, all those different things to, to execute it. So that's where the organization design comes in because then you're down to getting into the, really the brass tacks and sort of um, debating and, and, you know, frankly, having the courage to make decisions. Because if, I, I don't know if you experienced this, but I think courage is probably the number one missing ingredient in modern entrepreneur entrepreneurship. Not that entrepreneurs aren't, courageous when they first take that first step. But once you get established and comfortable, it gets scary. And, and so that's back to that evolution. That's why evolution, if you can frame it in evolution, you can help make progress, but you have to ultimately have the courage to make a decision. I, I completely agree. And especially taking, like you described that, that uh, evolution of the, just the first step in a new direction. It, it might be just a slight, slightly different direction. And I, I've seen it in many entrepreneurs and myself as I've, I've run different businesses being uh, uh, lacking that courage to, to make a decision that I, I know needs to be made to change course 
uh, because something different has to be done, but we're just comfortable doing what we've been doing because we know what to expect. Yeah. And so if you can have a clear plan, you know, sort of milestones of where you're headed, knowing your first step, you know, you, it's not to say you can never abandon bad ideas or if things don't work that you should keep doing them. I'm not articulating that. It's trying to or saying that. I'm just trying to say that the most important thing is that you take a step. <laughs> and so what tools can you put in place for yourself? What tricks of the trade, you know, to master your own psychology? Because for most uh, business owners, the psychology game, I mean, that that's the actual game. <laughs> like, it's not really about the business you're in for most of us. Some people are blessed with the ability to sort of separate their emotions from their business and, and all this. But most of us are not that fortunate. And we, we have to get our minds right and, ha- and have confidence in our decision making to move forward. So, so what a lot of what I do is try to give people the tools to really get that confidence so that they can have the courage to do the things they already know they should be doing. Yeah, very, very well said. I I love that. Well, this is a great transition point. That was a strong close, strong finish (laughs) to uh, transition to the next uh, phase of the uh, interview here. It's where we ask every guest the same four questions before they go. And the first question is about a miss or two that maybe you've had in your career along the way and something you've learned from it. Well, I've had so many, it's uh, hard to choose. Um, And maybe that's a lesson in itself. Um, you know, that misses are okay. But the one, I, the one that came to mind was my, one of my early businesses when I was 16 years old, I started a weekly advertiser, like sort of like a nickel ads. Do you remember those like classified mm-hmm. ad newspaper print, right? This was in the nineties. And um, I printed up, I sold ads, did that successfully. And then uh, through um, 20,000 copies in the back of my 1968 Volkswagen square back and set out to figure out how to distribute things, distribute these things. Well, it turns out that was really like selling was easy compared to the distribution. I had no plan for distribution. And so the, what we, some of the people worked with me started putting them in mailboxes. And then I got a call from the police at the U S postal service. They have a police department. I can't remember what they're called and saying, uh, yeah, you can't do that unless you know, you want to go to jail or pay a fine. So the, the couple of lessons from that for me were one, understand the end game, understand where you're going. And specifically, um, distribution matters. The, you know, it doesn't matter how many great ideas or how great a product you have. If you can't get it to the people, then you're losing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And look, I'm in the franchising business. That is a method of distribution. So that's music to my ears. I love that. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) Well, let's let's flip things on the other side and let's talk a little bit about a make or two. You've had such a decorated career. I'd love to hear a few things that maybe stand out to you. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I don't know about decorated career. It's been it's been a good run. But um, you know, I think the main thing was that the first thing that came to my mind was I had an opportunity. I told you I grew up in this in this in the advertising or marketing consulting business, basically. And then I had an opportunity. I always had side hustles, like before there were such before we had a term for side hustles. And one of those side hustles happened to take off. And this is why I owned a company that I had a business partner. And the company that took off ended up getting into a startup accelerator in San Francisco called uh, Y Combinator, which is where Airbnb and Dropbox and other companies came out of. 
So I was left with a choice. Do I keep doing what I love? I liked my current day job. Or do I chase this opportunity um, and go, you know, and do whatever it takes to do that? And so I guess you could say I, I figured the make was the sort of getting accepted into this very prestigious pl- place. It's harder to get into than Harvard kind of thing. It's like a fractional acceptance rate, a fractional pr- of a percent. But I don't actually think that was my success, the success or the make of it. I think the make was the willingness to overcome the fear that I had about leaving a secure business that was doing well with a business partner I liked and respected, with clients I loved, and with a family to support, and saying, you know, you only live once. Let's let's roll the dice and do this thing. And so I think that decision with the support of my wife was, I feel like, a pivotal thing because it empowered me it, it showed how much power we all have to have to control our own lives and destiny. And uh, to be fair, that business went well. We, you know, we did, we raised a few million bucks and did the whole startup thing. It's still going. I didn't really enjoy it. So I sold my interest. So I, it wasn't really a success for me, the business itself, but the process was definitely a make. Hearing you describe that, it reminds me of that famous Yogi Berra quote of when you reach a fork in the road, take it. And <laughs> And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, a lot of what what you've been talking about, even on the interview is that that courage just just to make a decision and not just sit kind of stuck in that middle. You're at that fork. You got to go left or right. Well, choose one. Don't just sit there and and make that decision and go all in. hundred percent. Well, let's talk about the next question, which is a multiplier. It's always this has become my favorite question we ask. And just has there been a multiplier you've used in growing yourself, your businesses or anything else along the way? Well, I'll say, I wish I had a better answer for myself, like my personal self, because I talked about that psychology stuff, which is pretty revealing about myself, uh, which I've been less uh, uh, diligent on. But in terms of my business, I mean, the way I think about the biggest multiplier I have is to high, to focus on hiring 10, 10x employees. And what I mean by that is, you know, somebody who is 10 times better than the average employee, almost no matter the price, is usually better for me than hiring a low-wage employee that I have to hope, train and hope that they get there. Now, every business model is different, and I understand all that, but that mindset for me um, uh, changed everything because now I have people that are super highly, it gives me the business I want. I have people that are highly accountable and can take responsibility. They're, they're, uh, they're additions or multipliers to my business instead of me having to sort of drag them along, and that frees me up to do the things I really want to do. And so those, so, so that investment, and I, I'm, the reason I make, because really that's usually what we're talking about is you have to pay more money. I mean, it's A, you're always recruiting and you have to pay more money to get those people. You have to build a culture that works for those people. And that's been my philosophy and I, it's totally uh, changed my business. And the result is that my, you know, my latest business is my most successful business. Uh, but that's, that's because I learned all these tricks along the way. Uh, I love that. That's a great suggestion. That that's a that's a great multiplier. Well, and and the final question we like to ask every guest is, what does success mean to you? Yeah, that's a tough one. My answer is optionality. So having options. Um, you know, I remember in first grade when Mrs. Blair, my first grade teacher, we said when you finish the test, you have an option 
to take to do either of these two sheets, the pink sheet or the blue sheet. And she explained what options were. And from that moment in first grade in Portland, Oregon, at Hollywood Elementary, that idea of options has really stuck with me. And um, I've really tried to build my life around options. Oh, that's beautiful. And, and the option to choose, right? What yeah. have, have those options. I feel way more comfortable when I know I can, I have, I can go this way or this way. And I'm really happy with either of those options. And I just want to share this because I had, this was a friend of mine's wisdom on that. I was talking about this concept with a friend and he said, he's a business friend. And he said, you know, one thing as we get older and wiser, um, the options that we have to choose from are usually better because when we're young, we were always afraid if I, you know, have option A or option B and B could be disastrous. Well, by the time we, you advance in your career, you sort of automatically filter out the B option. And now you have a new, a better B, you know, you don't have terrible options, sort of destruction, destructive options. And I, I just, that really resonated with me. And I, I, I say that because it, it made me feel better about the progress. And when I thought about that, I started thinking about, yeah, as an entrepreneur, I've made some progress in my life. And, you know, and I think for small business people, it's sometimes not clear that you've made that progress. So. You know, I, I really like that. Yeah. Your, your option A and then your option B, it, option B keeps getting better, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, and option B in the past could have been the road to ruin, you know? Yeah. Well, as we bring this to a close here, um, I, I, is there anything you were hoping to share, maybe get across that you haven't had a chance yet to talk about? Well, I, the, my only comment would be, I really think I would encourage people to think about how they're designing their business. So um, not just thinking about what they're doing on a day-to-day basis, but, you know, the Michael Gerber e-myth was a famous book that talked about this, but this concept. And so, yeah. And then, you know, the book I recently wrote, which is the monster that ate marketing. And it's really focused on uh, marketing leaders, but really leaders in the everywhere um, who engage with marketing um, and that's really all that's about is thinking about being more intentional about how you're organizing and designing your company to actually work for you instead of being a slave to your, your own company. Great. Well, and uh, tell us, how can someone find out a little bit more about what you're doing or a place where can they find your book and, and get access to that? Yeah. So the book, uh, I think it comes out in August officially. Um, it'll be everywhere books are sold. Um, and then, uh, but you could also sign up to be alerted or keep track of it at jeffreynolds.com. And there's some other, um, that's me, Jeff Reynolds. And, uh, and there's some other, you'll be able to download some uh, early versions, you know, some early chapters and things like that there as well. So um, that's probably the best way. Jeff, thank you so much for a fantastic interview and for providing such valuable information. And now it's time to go ahead and jump into our three key takeaways. So takeaway number one is when Jeff spoke about going from revolution thinking to evolution thinking, and he described that revolution thinking in the real world is really shiny object syndrome and chasing after these new ideas or chasing white rabbits down rabbit holes. And he said to really be be aware of this and that it's hard oftentimes for leaders and entrepreneurs because oftentimes you have a big picture mindset. Takeaway number two is when he said to view things as a process not as an event. I thought that was a great takeaway. And he described setting 
by to to help do that, he described but to set clear priorities and set goals to measure it against it. And he said how at his company, they use the achievability impact matrix, where you have high impact, high achievability is really the focus of that matrix that you're that you're looking for. And I I thought that uh, one other quick little nugget here was interesting how he described that the word priorities with an S at the end was never really used into the 1960s. And I found that interesting to think that, you know, you can only have one priority and that uh, the a, a plural version of the word has only been in use in recent history here. Takeaway number three is when he described the word strategy and how it's one of the most misused words in business. And he said there are a lot of tactics and to-do lists that masquerade as strategy. And he defined the word strategy as a designed plan of action to win, a designed plan of action to win. And now it's time for today's win-win. So today's win-win couples in with this whole concept and idea of going from revolution thinking to evolution thinking as you design and build new things into your business, new products, new services, new offerings, new staff, new whatever you're doing. And it, it really comes from the make that Jeff shared where he talked about he had an opportunity to go into Silicon Valley, into a world-famous startup incubator. And it's very selective. And he described the make wasn't actually getting selected to go into it. It was actually making a decision to go from a steady job with a steady income when he has to take knew he had to take care of his family and making that jump and making that leap. And and it, it did remind me of that, that famous Yogi Berra quote, which is, when you reach a fork in the road, take it. And I think that's really what Jeff was saying here. Make that decision. Don't sit idle and and go for it, whatever that decision is. Go, go left or go right, but uh, don't just sit still. And I thought that was interesting, and he described his make was actually taking that opportunity to pursue a, a dream or a vision or an opportunity that that he was really enthused about. And so as a closing thought is really just to think about how can you apply this in your own business, in your own life, in what you are doing, and using that as a way, as a tool to help you in making a better decision or the best decision for your vision in your future and where you're going. And so that's the episode today, folks. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast and give us a review. And remember, if you or anyone you know might be ready to franchise our business or take their franchise company to the next level, please connect with us at BigSkyFranchiseTeam.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to having you back next week.